We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Thursday, January 19th, and it's a little bit warm today. It's warming up this week. It's not as cold. It's probably much cold, much colder next week. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We got NBA basketball going on today, short uh, four game slate. Uh, we got uh, MMA. We'll be talking about that tomorrow. Remember Fridays are fighting Fridays, except for last week where I boycotted the contest. But we'll talk about it. we have a pay-per-view card to, uh, on Saturday, 15 fights. We'll be talking a little bit about that tomorrow. If you want to get up more, more updates on the MMA stuff, definitely subscribe to Roto Grinders. Get a premium combo package. Get all the sports. Get everything. Get NFL playoffs. Get NBA. Get PGA, MMA, soccer, League of Legends. What, whatever college, whatever the hell, basketball, basketball's going on, not football anymore. Then MLB will come back. Just get it. You get all the projections. You get all the lineup HQ. You get all the premium content. Uh, click on that link in the description. Get $10 off your first month. Good morning to the chat. My YouTube chat people want us here early. Suki Singh, I guess, taking a vacation, right? Suki hasn't been here been in about a week or so. Typically one of the early birds. Trevor's here. Good morning. Haven't been able to, he hasn't been able to watch live recently, but uh, he says that my contact has been uh, fantastic lately. Before it was horrible then, I guess. Before it was awful, but lately it's been fantastic. Good morning to DFS Voodoo, Kickstart, Defic. Defic says, question from yesterday's show. Okay, a follow-up from yesterday's show. We were talking about, you know, setting ownership minimums and maximums to find that, like, that bucket, that range, that balance of projection and ownership where we could find candidate lineups for the GPPs that were playing, the, the, the size predominantly. Uh, why do you set a minimum ownership value? Because typically the lower owned you go, like you go down, let's say we set the, the max at 10% owned. The projection is going to be ridiculously low, right? 
There's a reason why people are, why players are 1% owned typically because they project well, right? So most likely in order to not get lineups that are too low projected, right? Way too low projected. You're probably setting a, like a minimum ownership, especially if you're built, if you're, if you're trying to build a big set of candidate lineups to choose from, right? So maybe you're not going all the way down, especially the smaller the contest that you're playing. Like if you're playing a thousand, 500 to a thousand man type of contest, 300 man contest. Like you're, you're probably not going down and, and sacrificing an NBA. You're not sacrificing 15, 20 points of rejection in those contests. So most likely your ownership is not going to be, not to be absurdly low. So you're probably just getting rid of those lineups. Essentially when you put in constraints in lineup HQ or any optimizer, all you're doing it is, is you're, you're telling the optimizer I want you to solve the knapsack problem for the, the fantasy points column, right? That median fantasy points, the projection. And then, but I want you to skip over lineups that don't fit this constraint, right? And the constraint could be anything. It could be, I, I want lineups that need to have at least one player from each side of a game. And I don't care we, as long as it's one side of a, like, okay. And if it gets to a lineup that doesn't have that, it just skips over it and goes to the next one. Right. And then gives you the 20 lines. I want lineups that I want 50% of this guy and 50% of that guy. It's trying to conform to whatever restraints. It's just going to start skipping over and not including those lineups. So essentially what you're doing with the build rules and with the player groups and everything is just finding a way to tell the optimizer to skip over those lineups that don't conform to the constraints that you're giving it. So with the, the min max total lineup ownership type of thing, like if you want to make sure that, especially if you're building out a large set of lineups, like if you're playing 150 max or something, and you're trying to and trying to build, you know, thousands of candidate lineups, potential candidate lineups, like there's no way in lineup HQ currently to set a minimum projection, right? There's no way of doing that. Like they should, they probably should, right? We we could probably introduce that at some point. So what's the, the what's the best way to do it? Is just to have a minimum ownership, right? Your max ownership is 160. You're probably not playing lineups that are 40% total owned. You're not, unless it's absurdly efficient, inefficient ownership, where there's some 2% owned player that projects for weight so much, and for some odd reason, no one's playing them. Most likely, a 40% owned lineup in total is going to be like 45 points lower projected than the main lineups that you're trying to build. You're probably not playing them, right? You're probably not playing those lineups. So, when, especially once you start adding many more constraints and exposures and everything, it's trying to fit into those kind of constraint type of things. If you set the minimum ownership at zero and it's like, I want 3% of this guy, I want 7% of that guy. And you're trying to build like 300 lineups or something. Those lineups at the bottom of that set, it's like, well, I guess in order to fit all of these constraints and these exposures and all these types of things, it's going to start like skipping over so many lineups just to get to a lineup that fits all of those variables that you're setting, the constraints that you're setting that the you know, last five lineups are projected like 40 points below, below a lot of other lineups and very low owned. And like, those aren't good lineups because they're too low projected. So how do you, how do you fix that? How do you, how do you constrain that even further? Well, that's why you use the minimum t- total lineup ownership. Like that would be the reason. So you're like looking for a range of projection versus ownership like there. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, Trevor says, didn't the Millie have a winner a couple of years ago where the winning lineup had like 45K salary and 45% ownership? Yeah, doesn't mean it's a plus EV lineup, right? Right, Trevor says it's just like poker, right? Like calling a shove in poker with 7-2 offsuit. It's probably probably worse than that. It's probably worse than that, right? 7-2, seven, seven, even 7-2 seven, versus aces, like, but what are you, what are you, uh, did eight, eight and a half to one underdog or something like that? I mean, like you're, you're, you're 12% equity or something like that, right? The, the, the EV of, of a lineup that's like 45% ownership and at least four, five case in salary for, for whatever con is, is negative EV, right? Just because like one, one time it, like, if we played this out a million times, right, it's quite possible the lineup loses more than a million dollars over those occurrences after, even though it wins once. Right. So you can't, that's why the, the main thing is like when, when someone asks about results, DB about studying lineups and everything from the day before or whatever, like don't study the winning lineup, the lineup that won the NFL Millie maker week 11 or whatever the hell it is. Like that doesn't, that doesn't teach you anything. Right. You want to study lineups from winning players. That's it. They are long-term profitable. If you had a choice, if you had a choice, Yuda, Yuda's on a run. And uh, Yuda Cow, who I've said, if you've listened to me in the past, I mean, for like years and years, you go back to some interviews in like 2017, 2018. I've always said, I've always said, I said the greatest all around DFS player of all time is Yuda Cow. Is you in all sports, all formats. If we had to judge right? Does he mean he's the greatest in everything? No, but like overall, like you just said, I, I want, I want to trade my results and just use his lineups and his contests and everything like that. Like that's to be the gold standard. There's tons of good players. I mean, we have the leaderboard here at Roto-Grinders, but Utakao, I mean, I think in the past, in the past year, I think he's won six, six million dollar first place prizes. Right. A lot of them are in the, in the higher stake stuff. Like, you know, the four, 4,000, 2,500, the the, the 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 smaller milli type contests uh but uh but yeah but six six million dollar wins that's that's pretty damn good great cash player i mean he, he obviously runs his own projections so so yeah so like you want to study him right you want to study mclovin you want to study awesome you want to study the squirrel patrol cheese is good right you want to study dave potts and mlb right you want to doesn't matter if they won that day right you want to study good players and say, what? how are they building lineups? What do their lineups look like in comparison to my my own? What choices did they make? What projections did their lineups have versus ownership? That type of thing. What could, what correlation things are they doing that maybe you're not or you're doing too much of, right? So look at their lineups and see. That's what you should be studying, not, who, not what lineup won yesterday. That doesn't make it a, a profitable lineup long term. Richmond TX in the chat. Feel free to type in any questions you got in the chat. I got a topic for today. Uh, for, you could email in. We got we got the banner. I'll, I'll I'll throw it up. I'll do Steve's job. Okay, there you go. Right. Send in your questions. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. Just send them in. It's better to just send them in. Obviously, if you're here live, you could type in anything you want. I'd rather kind of be on topic of what we're talking about, which I haven't introduced yet anyway. Uh, so you can type that in the YouTube chat, but any questions you have, DFS strategy, doesn't have to be on this topic, anything, anything at all, anything. There's no stupid questions. There's not, there's, okay, there, there's some, but you can send them in anyway. Just send them in, questions at theoryofdfs.com. They will be covered on the show. 
I typically wait till a couple of people have similar topic type of questions. And then I, I bang them out and then I'll email you back saying, Hey, you should check out today's show. I, I, I covered that today. Right. And then if sometimes if it's quick or whatever, we'll do like a mailbag episode and I'll, I can bang out five or six at once. And you, you'll always know. And they'll always be titled. We have titles now for all the episodes. You could always go back and say, oh, there's this episode from three months ago. And you could find it. It's not just a random date. Okay. So Richmond TX asks, uh, you know, do you prefer smaller slates or larger slates? I did. They just they just play strategically differently, right? There's no there's no preference. It's just a matter of what contextual variables matter more on small slates versus larger slates. That's it, right? From a strategic standpoint, the smaller the slate gets, the less opportunity cost there is, and the more prioritization on on combinatorics and duplication. So obviously, the smallest slate you could play is a showdown slate. That relies heavily. You're you're almost prioritizing, you know, anti-duplication methods and combinatorics on a on a 14 game slate an NBA or something. You you wouldn't even think about it. you. I wouldn't even worry about duplicate. I don't even it's not even entered my mind, right? In baseball, 12 game slate. Why do I why do I care about any type of duplication? Two game NBA slate. Yeah, you're gonna have. You, that's going to be almost the priority. Almost you, you may be implying negative correlation just to not be duplicated as much, right? So that's really the only difference between small slates and large slates. I prefer, if I strategically, I prefer larger slates because then you don't have to worry about that stuff, right? Then, then you could play DFS as, as almost like without that contextual variable and make the choices you want to make, right? Who's under own. I'm going to play this stack with that thing and whatever. Okay. That looks good. And I can make, you can make so many, the larger the slate, you can make so many candidate plus EV lineups that it just comes down to how you want to just diversify your portfolio. Yet on a smaller slate, like there aren't as many plus EV lineups to choose from, right? So you, you have to, you have to do your due diligence and, and find lineups that are going to be less duplicated either in full or combinatorically, that that takes precedent over like pure projection versus ownership, right? That takes more priority. So that's the only difference. So there's no like like preference. It's just strategically they they operate differently. Depend and and they scale on, as a size. There's no such thing as a small slate and a large slate. There's just two game, three game, four game, five. I mean, it's, it scales as a spectrum. Same way there's no small field GPP and large field. What, what's, what do you consider small field GPP? Uh, anything under 1,000. Okay, so 1,000. So 999 is a small field and 1,000. Once you had that one entry, you change your strategy completely. Like, no, that one entry doesn't matter. You do it by scale, right? Oh, what's a large? I consider large field 10,000. So, 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 so 9,999 9, you'd play as like it's like a 10-man contest. Oh, no, no, no. 999 is like that. That's that's close. I'm like, so don't make these these descriptive terms as if like there is a cutoff. It's like you have to think and think things as a spectrum. There's a difference between a 10 man and a 50 man and a 100 man and 120 man and 121 man. Right. Probably not much of a difference between 120, 121 man. But that's a bigger difference than 300 man, than 700 man, than 1200 man, than. There's a difference between 10,000 and 20,000, then 20,000 and 25,000. There's a difference between all of that. Typically, once you start to get out to really high scales, then, I mean, strategically, you're probably not playing that much differently, 
right? What's the difference between 50,000 and, and, and 75,000? Probably not much different in how you're building a lineup, right? You still, these are extreme large field contests, but there's going to be a much big difference between like that's 25,000 entries more, right? 50 to 75 is like 25,000 entries, but there's a very big difference between a hundred man contest and a 25,100 man contest, right? And that's still a 25,000 entry difference, right? Yeah, but obviously going from 100 to 25,000 is, is a much bigger gap. Uh, Richmond says Chipotle Attic used to be a good follow. He, he, he doesn't tweet. You're following the wrong account, Richmond. Chipotle Attic used to be uh, a good, he, he doesn't tweet though. You're following, you're following some scam account. There are a lot of scam accounts out there on Twitter. Okay, let, let me tell you that. There are a lot of scam, uh, uh, top-tier uh, DFS player fake accounts out there. So you're you're probably following the wrong one. I don't remember, I, I barely remember the last time Chipotle Addict has ever even tweeted, right? Just like McLovin, every once in a blue moon, something like that. Same for Yuda, like say, a lot of those, a lot of those guys don't, don't tweet that much, right? So you're probably following some account that looks like their account has like an underscore somewhere or it's some misspelling or something like that, that, you know, is posting some stuff and then trying to like sell you lineups or something like that. They're not, they're not those real people. Right. Oh, Richmond says and results DB, not Twitter. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, obviously that that's, that's the real Chipotle addict. No, the burrito brothers haven't, they, they play NFL. They're great. I mean, they're, they're probably the best GPPs players in, in NFL ever. So yeah, NFL, but I mean, it, it, I saw, I saw a good year ago that they toned their volume down in other daily sports, probably very similar, probably to me, right? Probably very similar to me. Like I'm not playing NBA DFS because it's just not, it's, it's the edge isn't worth the time. There's so many other edges out there that grinding out all the late news and projection updates. And then because once the projections update, you also have to adjust your ownership you got to do all this stuff and then you got to be around for every single lock time and swap around and all this type of stuff that I just said, it's not worth it. And probably and this, Ricky D was someone that great in NBA. He decided this year to just, he ain't playing, he tweeting, trolling people. Going, I don't know how you put up with this. He'll wait for MLB. He'll I'll, I'll see him in MLB right where, where you don't have to deal with it. So like, I, 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 I understand that sentiment. That, you know, the Burrito Brothers, right? Chipotle Attic and Papa Gates. They have other stuff to do, right? They're, they're, they're pursuing other edges elsewhere, other endeavors. Who knows? That they may not be around grinding NBA every day. That doesn't mean it's dead. That doesn't mean it's dead. There's there's 8 million edges in this type of stuff. There's sports betting, prop betting. There's all these prop sites and new contests and new formats. And you want to play Rainmakers. You want to play... The, flash drafts you want to play i mean the multiple sites and everything like dude they could be just out exploiting some some other edge that you just don't even know about that's probably what they're doing and not you know grinding out four hours a night five hours a night doing their own projections or something right spending three hours in the morning like they probably just said screw it screw it Trevor says, never watched an NHL game in my life, but they don't have the same late swap problems as NBA. You have to talk to the NHL people. I think that that happens with goalies sometimes, from what I could tell. And also, like, like you have to know what the lines are going to be. Sometimes they switch out their lines. 
like someone's going to be on a different line this game or something. I, there, there's a news aspect to NHL. Obviously, nowhere near NBA. NBA is, is ridiculous. There's no, there's no sport new, other than the college sports. Like the college sports? Yes, you're going to have to follow news for that also because you know, the, the reporting in the college sports is much lower, right? Like what's doing it? Like, okay, the, you know, is this guy, they have, they have multiple people in the squad, three running backs. You never know. This guy may not even be active for the game and, and there's no one reporting it. It's, it's, you have to go search on Twitter so you can find anyone reputable. And if this guy is like, you don't even know if there, you don't even know if there are injuries or you don't even know. I mean, there are a lot of times in, in some of these college football contests in DFS where, you know, there's some 38% owned player that gets a zero because they didn't even, they didn't even play. They literally didn't play. They were active and just didn't play. And then some injury. And then you see on the broadcast that five minutes in, it's like, oh yeah, he's, he's only there for emergencies because he got injured three days ago and no one, no one reported it. No one knows. No one knows what's going on, right? So, so that happens in those sports. Okay, so I'm going to answer a question today that was sent in via questions at theoryofdfs.com. And it's a question I hear commonly asked on like crunch time, which is later today for NBA, right? We got a four-game slate, right? A lot of people ask, this especially happens when like one guy is sitting from a team, like when, when a, a team is playing you know, uh, with one of their high usage guys out or they're playing on a small rotation, things like that. People will ask, how many players from X can I play in my lineup? Is 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 four too much? Is two too much? Is three too much? They, they ask these, what I consider binary questions that don't exist in DFS, right? There's very rarely, very, very rarely a question that can be answered with a yes or a no, okay? So if you find yourself, this is a big tip. You find yourself asking your, even just yourself a question that requires the answer to be yes or no, then you're not thinking of it holistically enough. You're not thinking of it in, in, in more abstract terms, I guess. You're thinking of it way, way too linearly, right? And same thing if you're asking like for an exact number. How much ownership exactly do I like? There's no, there's no num- exact, there's no exact number. You can estimate, you can, you know, guess. But there's no like exact, exact number, you know, unless you have some very precise process, you know, where you're programming tons of stuff, doing it and doing it, doing it good. Could you possibly even come up with a like even close to an exact number? So how many can you play? Like, like there's no, there's no answer to that. And can you play, can I play three? There's no answer to that either. All of these things depend on other contextual variables of the slate. And I talk about contextual variables in the theory of DFS for advanced players, right? There, there actually is, I believe, chapter six in the, the advanced course, right? Archetypes, right? Chapter seven, archetypes, the contextual variables, the archetype of a slate, right? You have to weigh all the archetypes into, into how you're building lineups, the context of a slate, so simply just asking how many can I play is like that's too that's too simple of a thinking. Because all the contextual variables will matter. Now let's just say they take it out of the contextual variables of a slate. So just saying in a vacuum. So when people are asking how many players can I play on a team, like in a sport like NBA, like obviously in baseball, you play five. They're all correlated. They're very strongly correlated to one another. 
You probably want to play multiple players from a team. Basketball, the correlations are much weaker, both negative and positive. Okay. What people don't get in NBA is that NBA players to each other on the same team and to some extent in the same game are all correlated to each other. They all have a positive correlation. Is it that strong of a positive correlation? No, but it's still a positive correlation. If Portland goes out today and puts up 140 points, like that benefits everyone on the team, okay? That benefits everyone on the team if they go way over their total, right? Their total is 115.75. They score 140 points. You know, they're rocking, they're shooting 70% from the field and the game stays close, right? Especially goes to overtime, right? Like all the players benefit. All of them do. Now, if they get blown out, right? All the starters, they're all, they're all negative, right? They all, they're correlated in the opposite way, negatively. So, you know, the, the, the Philadelphia gets out to a big league and Lillard comes out two minutes to go in the, in the third quarter, he ain't coming back, right? Nurkic ain't coming back. Josh Hart ain't coming back. Okay. They are correlated to one another. When people talk about negative correlation, the main negative correlation in basketball is players that come in and out for each other. A lot of times it would be like the center position, the point guard position. You have to know the rotations because sometimes the back of point guard also closes each half as like the second guard, right? So you'd have to know the rotations of the teams, but typically like a center and the backup center. Like, you know that these two guys will get 48 minutes, right? Barring a blowout, barring, you know, now the guys from the back of the bench start coming in or an injury or something. You go 48 minutes for these two guys. Like we're, we're talking about Portland today. So let's let's talk about Portland. Right. I brought it up. Drew Eubanks, right? Drew Eubanks plus Nurkic is 48 minutes. We even have it in projections. Nurkic 30, Eubanks 18. Now, what happens if Nurkic gets into foul trouble early? Well, now Eubanks has to come in and fill in that time. So Eubanks is more likely to benefit from Nurkic getting into foul trouble or playing bad or whatever, whatever it is. And let's say Nurkic is playing awesome. Maybe he plays more minutes. Maybe Eubanks sits more. Maybe instead of 30 minutes, Nurkic plays 36 minutes and Eubanks plays 12. But if Nurkic gets into foul trouble, let's say Nurkic only plays 20 minutes. It's quite possible Drew Eubanks plays 28 minutes. Right? These are these are one-for-one type of negative correlations. They're the strongest negative correlations because they they never share the court together. Then the other type of negative correlation, which is much, much weaker, is players on the court at the same time that eat up each other's usage. A lot of times these are shooters, not guys that handle the ball. Because obviously guys that handle the ball also can get assists and rebounds and stuff and get other peripherals other than scoring. Same thing for guy power forwards and centers. Use of Nurkic for the, the Trailblazers could score six real life points and still pull up 50 fantasy points based on, you know, having six assists and, and, and 16 rebounds, three blocks, two steals, right? Like those types of guys, like the guys down low by the basket and the guys at the top handling the ball and dishing it out. Typically have more peripheral usage. It's the shoot guys that shoot the ball a lot. So a guy like Anthony Simons 
versus Damian Lillard. Like, Lillard have the ball in his hand, right? But Lillard also shoots the ball. Like, if Lillard's shooting hot, if Lillard's shooting those half-court shots, you know, 10 feet behind the three-point line or whatever, he's driving the lane, he's doing well. Like, how many how many shots is Simon's putting up? Not much, right? He's sitting there waiting for the waiting for the three-pointers, right? Waiting for the ball. Yeah, he'll run the second unit, right? He'll get he'll get some, the ball handling duty with the second unit. But for the most part, they're on the court at the same time. So one player's ceiling, ceiling, may be negatively correlated with another player's ceiling. And the key word here is ceiling. Their performance as a median are still correlated. Okay, so let's take a look at that normal distribution since we're talking about NBA. So it's more normally distributed. So how correlated are Lillard and Simon's 50th percentile outcomes? They're correlated. They're not, not, not strongly. None of these things in NBA are that strong. But there's some positive correlation at the 50th percentile between both players. The Trailblazers do well. They do, they do okay. They do average. Neither of them hit like a ceiling. Neither of them hit like a, you know, a 7X type of game, right? But they both hit a five X game, five and a half X. You know, they're they're there. They may not have a they 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 may not have a flame emoji on their on their DraftKings name, right? But they won't have a snowflake, right? But they're correlated to each other because the Trailblazers did one, right? They didn't do like above and beyond, but they did they did okay. They 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 scored their total. The game went. They played all their minutes, right? The game went to the end. No blowouts. No bench players. No injuries. No foul trouble. None of that. They're correlated in this zone, in this like one standard deviation zone. These players are, for the most part, correlated somewhat to each other. Maybe not strong, 0.12 or something like that. Not that strong. But once we start getting out of the one standard, once we start getting the plus or minus one standard deviation, the correlations start to become negative to each other. Okay. And that's very similar to what I said, where Two people sharing the court at the same time that get their points in similar ways. Lillard shooting off the off the rail. So now Simons, right? Lillard is now past his one standard deviation. He's sitting up here in the, you know, in the 85th percentile, right? He's shooting. He's, he has 68 fantasy points, 74 fantasy points. Simons is sitting here with like 22 fantasy points. He's at the he's now at his floor, right? So as as one player starts increasing and getting to 55th percentile outcomes, 60th percentile outcomes, 65th percentile outcomes, it's more and more likely that the other player starts getting to 48th, 45th percentile, 40th percentile outcomes, right? It starts diverging like that, right? But in the middle, close in the middle, in this zone, kind of in the middle zone, they're pretty correlated to each other. But the ceiling, those 85th percentiles, it's quite quite hard for Lillard and Simons to both have 85 percentile outcomes. It's hard for them to both. I'm not saying it can't happen, but they would be negatively correlated. Where Lillard puts up 75 and Simons also puts up 55. Because the way that Simons scores points is different than that, that than, and overlaps with how Lillard scores points. Same thing for the two centers, right? kind of hard for one center if they if, if one center's doing well and has a 2020 20 game or maybe not 20 2020 
not 20 assists. The backup center, like what, 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 how much time has he gotten on the court? A point guard that comes in for another point guard that doesn't close together, right? Let's say Lillard gets into foul trouble and now Simons is out there running the first unit as the point guard. Well, now his 85th percentile is coming closer to being hit and Lillard's sitting there with a snowflake. So based on this description, one would think, one would say, I can't play Lillard and Simons together. Never play Lillard and Simons together. Never play Lillard and Simons together. But that wouldn't be true. That wouldn't be true because you're not paying attention to the contextual variables of the slate. One of the contextual variables is just simply salary. Just simply salary. Damian Lillard is 10K. Anthony Simons is 6,300. What if I told you that Anthony Simons is 3K? And when Damian Lillard puts up 70, Simons puts up like 25, right? Now it's 6.3K, 6,300, 25 ain't enough. Ain't enough. You ain't winning the GPP probably. Probably too, too low, right? His median projection is 31. Right. Let's just say his median projection is 31 and he was 3K. Do I mind Lillard putting up 75 and Simons putting up 25 when Simons is only 3K? A 3K player giving you 25 points is pretty damn good. That may be on a winning GPP lineup. So at 3K, sure, play Lillard and Simons together. Go, go for it. Have fun. That's perfectly fine. Lillard could hit a ceiling. Simon's going to have a, just a middling game, and the middling game is still projects for great for 3K. Let's say it's the opposite now. Let's say instead of Simon's being 6,300, he's 12,000 and Lillard is 15,000. Or so, you know, it's something ridiculous. The threshold and the amount of points they need to score to pay off their salary for a GPP, especially. Is going to go up because their salary is higher. So if Simons, let's say on this slate, Lillard's 10K and Simons is 8,000. Well, at 8,000, 31 point median is not very good. It's not very good. So it'll be very hard for even one of them to have a middling result and one of them have a ceiling result for both of them to be in a winning lineup, to be to be worthwhile to play together at those salaries. Let's say on this specific slate, we have Anthony Simons at 6,300. What happens if I told you Lillard was 7K, 3,000 cheaper? Well, now you definitely want to play Lillard. Lillard would be like the most owned player on the entire slate at that price. And 6,300 for Simons is like, he's there, but it's quite possible for Simons to have a really good game. Lillard only puts up 50 points. But he's 7K, so 50 points for 7K is 7X. I'm fine with 50 points from Lillard. If Simons could also put up 50 points, if they could only score 100 points combined, let's just say on average, as a ceiling. And Lillard was 7K, then you could play both of them. Fail free, go ahead. They could both hit those scores for those salaries. So you have to adjust for salary when you ask these types of questions. Can you play them together? How many players from a team? Like, this is all dependent on salary and the threshold that you need for those salaries to pay off that price tag, to get that flame emoji on the DraftKings screen. 
So we have a lot of times where like two guys are sitting for a team and the entire starting unit, right? That's coming on. The highest price guy is 4,800. And everyone's playing 30 plus minutes. And all the usage is, is left to be out there. Like, dude, you could play five guys. You could. That's doable. And all five guys get there for their price. That's the key, for their price. Not can they hit a ceiling. That That's, you know, there's no context to that. Hit a ceiling for their price. Anthony Simons doesn't need 50 points if he's only 3K. He's only 4,000. He'll need 50 points if he's 8,500 in the spot. He'll need he'll need that. He'll not only like like he'll need need that. Lillard needs that at 10k. 50 may not be a, 50 may not even be enough at 10k on this slate. So that's what you need to be thinking about, not just how many players, just nebulously, without thinking about any of the other contextual variables of a slate. What's another contextual variable of the slate? The size of the slate. Okay, we talked about, do you prefer small slates or large slates? I don't prefer either. It's just strategic differences. So, for instance, today, tonight's slate, on this given day, is four games, which is a pretty small NBA slate. It's not the smallest, but it's, it's it would be a small one. What What is a contextual variable of a small slate? Opportunity cost goes down. Okay, opportunity cost means when you play a player that you're giving up the opportunity of playing other players. If this was a 12-game NBA slate and you were going to play Anthony Simons, we'll use Anthony Simons as an example. Beautiful. You want to play Lillard, you're going to play Lillard in your lineup. And you're like, should I play Simons in the lineup also? I think they're negatively correlated. But I mean, for their price, it's like maybe Simons could put up 40 and Lillard could put up 65. Can that happen and, and win? Maybe. But let's say it's an 11-game slate, which means instead of Simons at 6,300, there's a lot more other players at 6,300 or 6,200 or 6,400. There's a lot more players you could choose from that aren't, don't have ceilings that are negatively correlated to some extent. They're not, when we talk about negative correlation, this is not like absurd, like you could never do this. Just a small negative correlation less likely, a little bit less likely, not unlikely, just less likely. So with all these other available players to, to play, if they all have similar projections or in their similar range of projections, one, two points, the opportunity to cost is high to play another guy on a team that like has takes usage and overlaps with another guy in your lineup. You'd play one of the other. Play, play one of the if, if similar projected guy. Just play a guy not on that, not on Lillard's team, because there are a lot more of them to choose from. But what happens if it's a small slate? Well, the amount of players that are available at those prices go down. Right? There's only four games on tonight's slate. There's only so many players to choose from. Instead of playing Simons, maybe you play Maxi, right on the other side of the game. So you don't have the negative correlation, but his projection is like four points lower. You could do that. You play OG Ananobi in one of your slots, right? He's only a quarter, three quarters of a point lower projected for 6,400. You also have to weigh in ownership for all this type of stuff also. 
But there aren't that many. There aren't on a four-game slate. There aren't that many players. And the score that you're going to need to win is going to be lower. Why? Because there's less players to choose from. All the lineups in your contest, even the largest field GPP contest, could only have players from eight teams. There's only so many. One of the three of these games are blowouts. Total blowouts. Like, no one from these games really get there other than, like, the, the 11th guy on the bench. You know, the 11th man, the guy that's, that no one's playing, that's projected for three minutes. Well, as long as you get as long as you get 36 minutes out of most of your guys, you, you can win a GPP. Maybe the Portland-Philadelphia game is the only one that goes close and goes over. And all these other games, like blowout, there's an injury, there's something, and nothing happens. So it's quite possible that the winning lineup on this four-game slate contains like six guys from one game. Four guys from one team. And it's not like they all put up a lot of points. It's just a lack of scoring from some of the other, from some of the other games. On a 12-game slate, you probably don't play six players from the same team or six players from the same game, four from the same team, because how many other players do you have to choose from? There's so many other combinations that you can play. On a small three, four-game NBA slate? I mean, we take a look at these projections. I mean, like, even just from a salary-adjusted plus-minus, there's not much There's not much here. Like, everyone's kind of efficiently priced or, you know, Somewhat close within a point or two of efficient pricing. So it's quite so it's quite possible. It's like, can you play Harden and Embiid together? Right? Well, Embiid's 11,000, Harden's 9,800. How do they both hit a ceiling at the same time? Who says you even need that? It's a four-game slate. If Embiid puts up 55 to 60 and Harden puts up 50 to 55, that may be in the wood. That there you go. You scored enough for a points. On this slate, on a smaller slate, yeah, that could be fine. On a 12-game NBA slate, I'm using an exaggeration. I don't know how many 12-game slates we get. Nine game, 10 game, eight game, nine game. Maybe you don't play two guys from the same team that are like around 10K each. You'd rather one guy go for like 80 and the other guy snowflake. You'd rather that happen rather than hope that both guys score enough points that you could beat out all the combinations of all these other high-priced players. You're playing a nine-game NBA slate. You're playing Harden and Bede together. Well, why don't you just play Harden with Giannis then? Why don't you play Harden with Jokic, with Luka? Or so, I mean, they got so many other options where you're not playing two high-priced guys. We always saw that in the past with the Warriors, with Curry and Durant. They score a lot of points, but a lot of times when one guy hits the ceiling, the other guy doesn't. And they're both very expensive. They both were cheap. That's who cares. But on a smaller slate, maybe the Warriors go out and whatever, and then both of them get there. Get there enough for the size slate that it is. You may, you may not need 400 points this slate on DraftKings to win. Who knows? The winning GPB lineup could be 327. And you're, dude, you got 55 from Embiid and 55 from Harden, and then there you good. You may be fine. They both outscore Irving and Lillard and Anthony Edwards and Siakam. And you do that. So how many players from a team can I play? It's not a question that you could just answer like without regard to the contextual variables of a slate and the salaries. 
when it comes to the salaries we mentioned before, like they're way too cheap for their projection. Some guys out, whatever, they're going to get 10 more minutes than they normally get. Like you'll see winning GPP lineups that have three guys from the same team. Even if they're negatively correlated, dude, we talked about the centers, right? We talked about the centers. What, what do we have a team on the slate that has, you know, centers is Toronto more like that? Right, pressure's at Okay, here we go. Pressure's at I mean, Siakam doesn't really play center. Right, it's kind of, it's good. Toronto's kind of a weirder team like that. But how about Brooklyn, right? Don't we have like Claxton and, and and someone else? Oh, he's playing 31 minutes now. Okay. But there are instances where like two centers, maybe the Hawks, like with Compella and Onkongu, when you get like two centers that like one guy plays like 28, one guy plays 20. One guy plays 26, one guy plays 22. Yes, they come in and out for each other. But what happens when, if both guys were 3K? Both of them were 3K. And both of them have the ability to put up 25 to 30 points. You can still play them together. You can, even though they come in and out from each other. At that price, if they were both were 5K, 5,500, probably wouldn't play them together. On a large slate. Let's say it's a two-game slate. Literally two-game slate. And they're both 5,500. You go, well, they come in and out for each other. Aren't they negatively correlated? Yeah, but the opportunity cost is so low because there's only two games. So on that type of slate, can you play both of them together? Yes, you can. Even at 5,500, even at like an efficient salary because what's the opportunity cost? One guy puts up 32 and one guy puts up 38 and that may be fine. They both do decently well. Neither of them score 50. But what do you need for 5,500? But that's on a small slate. If it was a 10-game NBA slate, I'd probably say at 5,500, you wouldn't play them together. Why? There's so many other $5,500 players to play. On a two-game slate, there may not be much. So people get into these these hard rules, these hard-set rules. This is what I talk about when in the past I'm saying, you know, that's that's kind of a stupid question. I understand what you're trying to ask, but you're not thinking deeper about it. You're trying to get a you're trying to get a, a a binary answer that doesn't exist, or you'll get it for that slate and then talk the next day and right you'll be on crunch time, right? You'll be with Andy Roth, Squirrel Patrol, on crunch time. Be one of those situations. How many how many Raptors is too many Raptors? And Andy will say, I think I think I think three is too many. I think you play two. Then, then the next slate is like, no, I think one is one. I, I don't think you play more than one. And like, well, how come the answer, nothing's changed. The price of gas hasn't changed. How come it was one, it was two then and now one? And like, I don't get it. And that's why you constantly hear these questions being asked over and over. It all depends on the contextual variables of a slate. So why don't you start thinking about the contextual variables of the slate and then weigh the lineup and weigh the, and all the other players in the player pool. Every slate is different. There's no hard set rule on how many players do you play from one team? Even if they're both priced at 10K. You could have two guys, both priced at 10K and be like, yeah, on this slate, I think you can get away with playing both of them if you wanted to. I think those lineups are fine. Then there are other slates where it's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother doing that at all. There's just too many other options. Too many other good projected players. That all depends on the slate. 
So how many players per team can you play? These are the things that you should be thinking about. When you get used to thinking about DFS in this way, where things are just probabilities and contextual variables on a, on a, on a spectrum of more likely and less likely, not yes or no, more likely, less likely. Well, aren't, aren't Embiid and Harden's 85th percentile outcomes negatively correlated? I said, well, yeah, ne- they're net. You're right. They're negatively correlated. That doesn't mean an R squared of one. That I means that that's, that's a point of point one two or something. Point one eight, which means they're less likely to happen. Not unlikely, but just less likely. Slightly, a bit less likely. Not heavily less likely. If you have a choice of taking another player that you're not taking on a point one eight negative correlation between two players that projects for the same range of outcomes, go and do that. Would be better. Doesn't doesn't mean you can't play Harden and beat. Doesn't mean it's bad. It's just that does a, there, there would be a better choice to do. But on certain slates, you may look at that and go, that may be fine. Also, I don't care. Even though it's a little less likely to happen, doesn't mean they both. Dude, there are some times where both Harden and Bead in a forty-eight minute game without overtime both hit their ceilings. And then you go, they come back to the show, Jordan. I thought they were negatively correlated to their ceilings. I said they are. Yeah, but it happened yesterday. I said, yeah, and it's less likely to happen. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean it's not. It just means it's less likely. It's more likely that one hits their ceiling and one doesn't. It's more likely. How much more likely? Not that much more likely. You can't think in terms of yes and no. You can't think in terms of 100% and 0%. Everything in the middle. We see this normal distribution. Everything in the middle. Everything's a probability. Then once you add on the contextual variables of the slate and go, well, can I play them together? Well, based on the pricing, based on the size, based on this, let me take a look at some lineups that play them together and go, yeah, based on this projection and ownership, I think the opportunity cost in the slate is low enough that I could get away with that line. Okay, good. Does it mean you play all those lineups? No. Joel Embiid was 5K on the slate. You'd be jamming him in with Harden, no problem. Of course, Embiid's not going to be 5K, but you get the point. You have to weigh those things in. You could answer your own question instead of asking Andy on crunch time. How many players is too many? Same thing for playing both sides of a game. It's like, well, if you're going to play Harden and Embiid together, I think it makes sense to play Nurkic or play play Josh Hart, play someone from the Portland side. Typically, when players get there together, or players get there in general, they've played the max minutes. And if they played the max min- max minutes that and they hit a ceiling, most likely the game has gone over its total and been close all the way to the end. There is a positive correlation between both opposite sides of a game, the two teams. So if you were going to play Lillard, you'd probably play Lillard plus Embiid, Lillard plus Harden. If you're playing, if you're playing Anthony Edwards, probably play a Raptor in that lineup. Maybe two Raptors in that lineup, Siakam and Scotty Barnes, because they're positively correlated. Oh, so you mean when one goes off, there the other one goes off? I, no, that's not what I said. I said they're positively correlated. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. That just means it's more likely. By a little bit. 
The positive correlation of two sides of a game is still very, in the NBA, is still weak. Still not that strong. But it's better than nothing. You may be playing against half the opponents in your in your GPPs that aren't thinking of any of this. They're just slamming their favorite plays and jamming in projections and not caring about correlations whatsoever. If you could get a nice .12 jump on them, on average, with some of these correlations in your lineup, why not take the little extra? Take the little extra EV there, right? You can. Does it mean you have to do it? No, you don't have to. There are plenty of outcomes where Philadelphia goes out and destroys Portland, and Bede has seventy points, and everyone on Portland is sitting there with a snowflake. There, those outcomes happen also. Or are there outcomes where Embiid goes out and scores seventy points, and no one on Portland gets there? They don't. Uh, from a ceiling, they, the production gets spread around. So Lillard's there with 45, and Simons is there with 32, and Josh Hart has, has 28, and this guy, Nurkic, has has 42, and you're just sitting there going, well, you didn't really need any of these guys. Like, they're fine, right? Embiid went off, though, but Embiid went off, or Harden went off, or something like Tyrese Maxey went off. But everyone else, the, the production was just spread around enough that you pretty much didn't need anyone else other than that, that one person, maybe. So you played both sides of a game and it's like, I didn't score enough, right? There are plenty, there, there are actually more outcomes of that than anything else. So it's not something that you should be just jamming in all the time. You don't have to, you can. If you had to choose, it's one of those things where if you had to choose, I'm going to play two studs today, right? In NBA, I'm going to play one of the, I'm going to look at the salaries, right? I'm going to play two guys, 9,800 or above. Right. Well, if you're playing Jason Tatum, probably the second guy you want to play is Steph Curry. Why? Because they're playing each other. That would make sense if you're playing GPPs. If you're playing Embiid, you're probably playing Lillard with him. If you had, if you're building a lineup that has two like high price players in it, if you're playing Edwards. You're playing Siakam. If you're playing Jalen Brown, who's now questionable. Well, that's the whole point about NBA. What's the point of talking about anything about building lineups at 11 o'clock in the morning when we don't even know who's playing later today? But like as a tiebreaker, if you're going to play hard in your lineup, play play Lillard as the other high-priced guy. You may, you may not be playing two high-priced guys in your lineup. But this is something, these, these correlations. How many players on a team can you play? Players per team? It's all dependent on the contextual variables. On this... Particular slate tonight, it's a smaller slate. So you could get away with it more. If you get away with it more, why don't you just add another? If I'm going to take two guys from this team, why not take one guy from the other side of the game? Two guys from the other side of the game. Three guys from the depending on price. Why not? In comparison to choosing a guy at the same price, similar projection, that's not in the game. Right? Take the correlation benefit. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. No. Too many people think of like positive and negative correlation as if it's a binary thing. Like there's no measurement on that. That it's either they're correlated or they're not correlated. It's like, no, there's, 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 it's, it's called a correlation coefficient measured in something called R. League of Legends, highly correlated. That's why you stack. Players are like 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9 correlated to each other then then then, then you play then you play multiple guys baseball 
point four to point six, depending. I mean, something up. You're, you're stacking in baseball. NFL, you're at like point two five ish, point three. Yeah, you're probably playing quarterbacks plus wide receivers. You're probably building game stacks, stuff like that. NBA, point one, point one five, pretty weak in comparison. Doesn't mean you have to do it. No, you don't have to do it. It's less likely than than League of Legends or baseball, where a stack isn't, that's what you should be doing. Once you start thinking like more likely and less likely, once you start thinking in probabilities and things on the spectrum, you start understanding how to play DFS better. You start understanding that when you start seeing that the questions that you asked two years ago, once it clicks, once this thing clicks, it may not, it may not have clicked yet, but once it clicks, right? You start wondering how the hell do you even answer ask those questions in the first place? You you almost start to think to yourself that you I that you deserved getting yelled at by me, that it was a stupid question. You go, wow, I was stupid. I get that all the time for people that get the DFS courses. Right? Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, the first course, 15 hours, how to think like a professional DFS player. Second course, how to apply profitable DFS strategies for advanced players which it comes with 10 chapters of audio and custom Excel tools. So you know how many people, tons of people, I got emails back, messages back. They went through both courses or the first course even played for a month and then started doing a little bit better. Oh, I won that. I came in fifth year. I never came in there before. And they, they start doing better and then something clicks and they're like, Oh my God. I can't believe I asked you that question two months ago. You're right. Like once once you get it, like that seems like such a dumb thing to ask. It just means that you completely, you you completely don't even, you don't understand the basic math concepts of DFS. This guy or that guy, right? Like you go like, I can't believe I even bother asking those questions. Like I'm not even playing players. I'm playing lineups. So you can't just ask a 1v1 with absolutely no context and actually have an answer. That that would be a dumb question to ask. How many players should I play on? How many Raptors are too many Raptors? Yeah, that's that's a pretty dumb question just in a vacuum. Like, in, Well, it depends on the contest you're playing. It depends on the other players in your lineup. It depends on so many other things that if you're thinking that there actually is an answer to that question that could be that could be correct, without any of that context, without any of the contextual variables, without any of the archetypes in consideration, then you just, you simply don't understand how to play daily fantasy sports. You're looking for like an Oracle. You're looking for like some crystal ball, magic genie. That's going to tell you like, I I'm from the future and I'm a time Lord. This is exactly what's going to happen, but that it doesn't, the world doesn't work that way. Alex Santi says, I normally find that when people ask about playing three from a team, they're talking about a chalky combo. Not necessarily. I think it's more the fact of it's it's from a value consideration standpoint, right? A team is just underpriced because one guy's out and they didn't adjust the price or something. It's like, oh, Zion's out and Ingram's out and CJ's out. And then now all these Pelicans are all like 3,500 to 4,800. How many how many Pelicans can you play in a lineup? Dude, you can play five of them, possibly. Or you can choose to play two of them. You're probably playing at least one when the prices get to that extent. 
Trevor says, Trevor, oh, Trevor says about the stupid questions. Trevor says that was me. I was asking you some really dumb stuff the past couple of months. My results have definitely improved from watching you and using the theory of DFS tools. Yeah, you, once, once it clicks. Once it clicks, you get it. And then once it clicks and you start doing well, you start seeing how like how like 98% of the stuff that you were worried about, like don't doesn't mean like why even bother? All you do is subscribe to Roto Grinders, get our projections, get our ownership, right? You can make your own manual adjustments if you want. And then you just go out and build plus EV lineups. And you go, okay, I can build plus EV. I can build like 5,000 of these lineups. I go, yeah, you're right. You can. You can. You can build 5,000 plus EV lineups. Maybe not for tonight's slate. It's a four-game slate. For a normal size slate? Yeah, yeah, I I, I could just, I could spend all day building 5,000, as long as the news doesn't change, right? Then out of these 5,000, like, I could just play any, any 20 of them. Like, I go, yeah, you can play any 20 of them. I choose to play this because of this risk management profile. Okay, that's fine. I wanted to lock button this guy in because he's. it seems like he's really under-owned, and I think this is a good spot to exploit. I said, okay, if you want to take on that risk, go do it. And then, then the people come back and say, like, yeah, before, before, before learning actually how to play DFS, when everything, before everything clicked, I was at my desk at work or whatever and just pouring over stuff and spending four hours or whatever and then rushing and home and then 5.30 checking out and like doing all this work is work. And like once it clicked, it's like, dude, I show up for a slate 15 minutes before and I built three lineups in, in two minutes. And I go on with my life. And the lineups that I'm building are better than the lineups that I ever built before. And I'm doing much better. I came in third in this contest in some small field contest. I came in... I'm placing more than my one top 1% finishes. It used to be I was 1.1%. Now I'm 1.6%. It's like, yeah. And how much time are you spending? It's like 10 times less. I go, yeah, it's not that complicated of a game. People overthink this. Once you have once you have all the work done, what, if you don't have a way of changing player names into numbers, yeah, you're going to have to do a lot of work. But that's why you sign up to Roto-Grinders. Get a combo premium package. I think it's, I don't know, the time, it's it's not, it's not like, oh, I'm paying for like numbers. Like you're paying for time. You're literally paying for time. You know how much projections that other people do that are so much better than what I can do? You know how much time that saves? It's a no brainer. It's an absolutely no brainer. It's underpriced. A rotor grinder subscription should cost 2000 a month. That's what it should cost. $2,000 a month for all the, for all the sports and all the everything should be 2000 a month. The fact that it's, it's, it doesn't even crack three figures is lunacy is absolute lunacy. Should be, it, it, it almost seems like why you undercharging so much. Cause it saves me like 95% of the time. Like it literally, like if I had to do this by myself, if I had to create a model for NBA like this and do all the minutes and react to the news, yeah, now it's a full-time job. Now, now, now I will be working eight hours, eight hours a day, every day. If I was playing NBA DFS, eight hours a day. Okay. Once they do it for me, once the projections team, one of the best in the biz, they do it for me. That saves me what? Seven hours a day minimum? Minimum. 
Seven hours a day. Seven hours a day. Let's say you play five days a week. That's 35 hours. I mean, that's like a full-time job, right? 35 hours a, 35 hours a week. And we get what? Six, we get six, what? Six months of NBA? Let's say it's like October, November, December. Let's just call it six months, right? Plus the playoffs, we could even call that. Let's say you play five days a week for six months, right? And there's an average four weeks in it. You play 20 days a month. Let's just say on average, 20 days a month for six months. That's 120, 120 days, right? 120 days times seven hours a day. That's 840 hours you save, right? 840 hours. You save. With a rotor grinder subscription, which I believe is like what ninety nine. I don't even know the price. Like ninety nine for the combo, right? So let's say it's a hundred bucks a month, right? So that's six hundred dollars. Okay, so for six hundred dollars, you save eight hundred and forty hours of work that you would be doing yourself to get to this point, to get just to get to the point where you have these numbers. Six hundred bucks saves you eight hundred and forty hours. Essentially, for those other 840 hours, you're paying 71 cents, right? So is your time worth more than 71 cents an hour? Is your time worth more than 71 cents an hour? I'm assuming it is. I mean, that's like 10 times less than minimum wage. So is your time worth 71 cents? At least if it's worth more than 71 cents an hour, then you should be subscribing to Roto-Grinders. I can't make any pitch better than that. That's, that's what you're buying. You're buying, time, you're buying expertise and time. You can do this yourself. You can build a model. You can manage the data. You can do all the minutes. Maybe, maybe you could maybe even do the minutes, maybe even slightly better. We have full-time people that do this. These aren't just like rando, rando people. Like Jamino's a full-time data analyst for Roto-Grinders. Andy's full-time. The Roto-Grinders, full-time projections team, SBK, full-time. I mean, this is what they do for a living, okay? And they give it to you. So you don't have to do seven hours of work every day. Or an NFL once a week. I mean, all, all the stuff, all the MLB projections. It, that's what we do. We turn the player names into numbers for you. Once you have that, 90-plus percent of the work is done. Now it's a matter of just arranging the numbers better than your opponents. Especially when more than half of your opponents don't understand that DFS is a game of arranging numbers better than your opponents. <laughs> Especially when they don't know that. They don't, they haven't turned player names into numbers. They don't know. They're guessing. They're guessing. They're going by superstitions. They're going by haircut narratives or whatever. Oh, this guy, this guy's birthday. Gotta play him. You know, like stuff like that. So click on that link in the description. Get a combo premium package. You get $10 off your first month. I, 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 I don't know where pe people go. Oh, it's too expensive. Yeah, if you're playing a dollar a day. Okay, yes, okay. I understand if you're, if you're playing, you know, quarters or whatever. I'm assuming you're not watching the show if you're playing. I don't know, maybe you're just doing for, you know, intellectual pursuits. If you're playing any, I mean, if you're playing anything, Anything. I mean, we're talking about even 10 bucks a day. I mean, even then it's worth it. Should be $2,000 a month, but it's not. It's way, 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 way less than that. So I think it's a no-brainer. 
right? That's the I think that's the best sales pitch I can I can make. I mean, no one makes. Well, you get this and you get that, and here's these forty seven other things you can get, and this article, and you can research here, and blah 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 blah. Yeah, you can get all that also. I'm telling you that just simply, like I I I would pay two thousand dollars a month for just this screen for all the sport, like literally just this screen, right? I could choose all the sports, all the sites. I could do NHL. I could do soccer. I could do whatever, college basketball, golf, FanDuel, whatever the hell it is. Like this, just this screen alone and the, t- the tool, obviously lineup HQ is a lineup builder tool and the numbers. And I could export all these projections. I could aggregate other projections. I could do all this stuff. Like this is a $2,000 a month product. This is something back in 2015 didn't exist. It didn't exist. No one had this. People had to build them themselves, proprietarily themselves to have. That's what the top players did. They would spend hours doing it themselves or outsourcing it and spending 10 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand, either in resources by paying someone else or in time themselves to build something that's nowhere, even back then, wouldn't even be as anywhere close to what this looks like here. It would be way, it would be 10% of what this is. So they're not paying for a Roto Grinder subscription to get the, the, the lunacy, absolute lunacy. Anyone say, ah, oh, you don't need it. All the free stuff is fine. Yeah, good luck to you. Good luck to, good luck to you estimating all this type of stuff or building this yourself. Good luck to you. <coughs> okay, so give me those thumbs ups on the way out the door. Thummy thumbs. Thummy thumbs, thummy thumbs. You know how much I like the thummy thumbs. This is free content. Can you believe I give away this stuff for free? I don't, I don't believe it. If you want more of it in a structured form, get Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. The two courses, 15 hours. There's a 10-chapter audio course with tools. Theoryofdfs.com. You get Theory of DFS, the both these courses with the Excel tools and or order grinder subscription. That's all you need. You're done. You're done. That's all you need. And then watch this show every day. Watch the archive, right? Even if you can't catch it live, watch, listen on the podcast feed. You've seen my results, right? I'm, it's not like I'm not like, like I'm BSing here. I'm showing you exactly what I know. This is 100% of what I know. 100% of what I do. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing whatever. You just have to do this a half an hour, an hour before lock. I'm not going to be there holding your hand. That's the only difference. You just have to go and do it. And actually study and actually take it seriously. And if you do, there's no re- there's no reason why you can't win in this game. Are you gonna win a million dollars? No, I'm not. There's no no. If you get lucky, sure, maybe. Get in the position to get lucky. Like this will help you get in the position to get lucky. But to not be a loser, not to be a lifetime loser in this game, I, there's there's too many. There's still too many bad players. That there's no reason why with a decent amount of work and study and discipline that you can't be a profitable player. There's no reason. The only limitation is you. So you just have to, you just have to take it. I'm giving it to you here. So give me those thummy thumbs. And uh, we got uh, NBA grinders live later today. Crunch time. We got NFL, NFL stuff for the, the, the playoff week coming up. Uh, MMA stuff uh, behind the paywall for for the premium podcast and the expert survey. And I'll be covering Fighting Friday tomorrow, MMA. 
tomorrow, 15, 15 fight card. I still got to put together my spreadsheet for that for tomorrow. We'll be talking about some strategy. That's our only free MMA content. So why, why not do it for the pay-per-view card coming up this Saturday? So we'll be getting back more on uh, game theory topics. Email your questions in questions at theoryofdfs.com because I will be answering them as I always do. Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.